listening to Expand Your Horizons, the podcast for English language teachers and wanderlust indulgers. This is Lauren and Shannon, teacher training duo of TefelHorizons.com. Each week, we bring you teaching advice, travel tips, and inspiring stories from around the globe. Here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting ESL teachers everywhere. and welcome to this week's episode of Expand Your Horizons, the Tefl Horizons podcast. Shannon here with Lauren. Hi! And we are going to continue talking about reading in this week's episode. Um, Back in episode 16, so not the most previous one, but the one before that, um, we started talking about reading and we touched mainly on why we don't want to have our students read out loud in the classroom. So if you didn't catch that episode, go back and listen to episode 16 first, because this one is going to build on that. In this episode, we're going to talk more about reading. We're going more in depth about what we can actually do with students in the classroom to help them develop their reading comprehension skills in English. The first thing we want to ask ourselves is, why is it so important to help students develop their reading skills in the first place? Lauren? We talked a little bit about it in the previous episode about uh, reading that we we want to uh, as closely mirror what students are reading and how students are reading in real life. And so I think it's really important to keep uh, in mind when you're trying to develop your students' reading skills, the authenticity of the task and the text uh, that you're that you're bringing in. So for example, you know, if you're teaching a bunch of teenagers, you don't necessarily want to bring in a text about, you know, uh, some obscure business uh, case file or whatever that they can't identify with Mm -hmm. uh, necessarily, but rather uh, bring in things that they would be reading in their real life, things like blogs and things like magazine articles, uh, maybe pop culture um, and stuff like that. Exactly. And you also want to um, give them reading tasks uh, that uh, encourage them to read in the way that they would read outside the classroom. So, you know, like we don't read every single thing that we come across in the same way, right? So like if you, the way in which you read, um, a a concert poster, you're walking down the street and you see a concert poster, the way you read that is much different than you're going to, than an, uh, let's say an interview in a magazine with a band that you are completely crazy about. So that you use different reading skills. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Keep those things in mind when when you are planning reading lessons. Uh, the course books do a pretty good job. Sometimes we're using outdated course books, so just also keep that in mind. Uh, what you want to do is bring in things that are authentic and encourage your students to read in an authentic way. Exactly. Um, and as Lauren just said, we read different things in different ways. This brings us to the idea of what we call reading subskills. So reading itself is the skill, right? We have the skill of reading. Um, but then within that, we have these different reading subskills. That sounds a little bit complicated, but that's really just a way of saying different types of reading. So we read different things in different ways. The different kinds of ways that we can read are what we call different reading subskills. Um, so the subskills in general, again, are just different different ways of reading. Um, the first one is called skimming. So skimming is when you read something very quickly just to get a general idea of the text or just to get the main idea, the overall idea, um, often also called the gist 
we usually skim to get the gist of a text. Um, so you can imagine, you know, if you are sitting in the waiting room at the dentist and you pick up a magazine, you might first skim through it. You might even find an article that looks interesting and first skim the article a little bit to see if it is in fact interesting enough that you want to then go back and read it in more depth. You probably don't just pick up an article and immediately start reading it really intensely unless you already know for sure that you're very excited about that particular topic. Um, so skimming is definitely something we do in real life in lots of different contexts, not necessarily just magazine articles. But there are lots of different things we skim. And so it's important, first of all, to help students practice skimming because we want students to, to get practice, again, with different kinds of reading. Um, in real life, we don't read everything in the same way. And so therefore, in the classroom, we don't want to make students read everything in the same way. We want to help them develop these different kinds of reading. Um, so an example of a skimming or skimming for gist task in the classroom might be something like the one we talked about briefly in episode 16. Um, I mentioned the article that I sometimes use about the older couple who had been married for many, many years. Um, and an example of a skimming task that I often do with that text is having the students look at a choice of three titles guess what they think the title will be, and then read very quickly or skim in order to check and see if their prediction was correct. Mm -hmm. um, titles are really good for skimming tasks because sort of by definition, the title should summarize the article. Once you know what the title is, you should have a general idea of what the text is about overall. Um, so that's a great one. Another one could be having maybe four pictures that represent four main events in in the story or in the article and having students read it quickly and put the pictures in order. So again, students aren't looking for details here for really minute aspects of the text. They really just need some kind of general task, maybe an open-ended, very general question, um, something simple like choosing a title that's just going to give them an idea of what's happening overall in the text. Obviously, in doing this, they're going to miss a bunch of the details. That's fine. We're going to talk about how to go back and do that afterwards. Um, so as you might imagine, this kind of task, a skimming or a gist task, is probably going to happen the first time the students read an article. Probably the very first time you introduce a text, it's a bit intimidating or very intimidating to have students jump right in and try to read it intensely, to try to read it for every little detail. This is also important, having students skim. Um, you may have heard your students do this, but our students have often complained that they find reading in English difficult and boring and tedious um, because they feel like it takes forever. They feel like every time they don't understand a word, they have to stop, they have to look it up. Anytime they don't understand a particular detail or aspect of the text, they have to stop and analyze it. And so reading takes really long and it's really hard. Skimming and helping students develop their skimming or their reading for gist skills actually helps deal with this problem. So in doing this, you're actually proving to your students, hey, look, you can read this text and you don't actually have to understand every single word or every single detail to still get a lot out of it, to still get the main idea. So by giving students this very general task up front and then forcing them to skim, not purposely not giving them enough time to read the whole thing in depth, you're proving to them that they can actually just give the text a quick, very quick read and still actually get a lot out of it. 
again, not everything, that's not the point, but they can get enough to answer this very general question or do this general task. Um, so then it goes without saying, maybe, or I'm going to say it anyway, that um, you want to give students a short time limit for skimming tasks. Mm-hmm. If it's a paragraph, two paragraphs um, worth of text, a minute, maybe two minutes for lower levels is probably plenty of time. And you can tell the students up front, this is a question you can ask them when you set the task. You can tell them, okay, read it the first time and see if your prediction is correct, for example. You only have one minute. So will you have time, do you think, to read every single word? No. And that's okay. You'll just read very quickly. Just see if you can answer this question in that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. So that is skimming. Um, there are a couple other reading subskills as well. Lauren, what's the next one? Uh, Next, we want to talk about scanning. So when we scan, we move our eyes quickly over a text, looking for bits of information, uh, for specific information. Uh, So let's go back to the concert poster I was talking about before. Uh, You're walking down the street, and out of the corner of your eye, you catch a a concert poster with your favorite band on it. Uh, So I want you to stop for a second and without looking at the, the poster, I want you to imagine the information you want to find on that poster. So you're going to want to know when the concert is, where the concert is, what time, and how much. Mm-hmm. And so already, without even looking at the concert poster, you already have an idea in your head the information that you're going to, to look for. So you turn, you look at the the concert poster, and you find those bits of information and walk away with that information. So scanning often happens in real life when we already know what type of information we're looking for. And very often it's things like names, dates, um, an age, maybe a location, um, little bits of information. Often in the classroom, we'll do this with um, a, a text such as, uh, like, uh, I don't know, uh, one that I used to do with my with my class was like a little reading on the poet Maya Angelou and a little history of her life. So how, how um, some uh, problems that she had when she was a child and teenager and how she sort of uh, developed into the um, goddess poet that she, that she was. Um, and so uh, my students had to quickly look through the text and fill out a chart about Maya Angelou. How, uh, how old was she when she started school? How old was she when her parents got divorced, when she had her first child? Uh, what was the name of the poem that she recited at President Clinton's inauguration, etc.? Um, and so moving quickly through the article, students could pick up those bits of information. But again, it's really important that they know what they're looking for before they go to the article in order to to scan right you can't scan for something you don't you don't know you're mm-hmm. looking for exactly um and how does this fit into the lesson well it, it's certainly a, an easier task right so it would fit somewhere at the beginning of the lesson it doesn't necessarily come right after a gist task however it depends completely on the type of 
text your students are reading. You can't scan every, you can't set a scanning task for every single text your students read. Um, I mean, I guess you could, but it would, it would just be really stilted and weird for certain texts. Right. Like, I mean, if they're reading, I don't know, like what, what scanning task would you use for a short story? Like, I guess you could, but like, it really depends. It lends itself uh, better to things like uh, tourist uh, brochures. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, if you think of a, another real life activity, or like I said, a concert poster, or even uh, a recipe, right? Looking quickly through a recipe to see uh, what I need, you know, what tools I might need to make the, the dish, or how mm-hmm. much butter or whatever I might need. Um, but it doesn't have to be done in every lesson is what I'm saying. So it doesn't have to follow a gist task. But if the the text were the right type of text, it would follow um, a gist task or even replace a gist task. So it would come earlier in the lesson rather than later. Right. This could be an alternative to a skimming task depending on the type of text you have. So let's say I have a short story. Um or an article about the old couple, for example, skimming yeah. probably makes more sense because students first just want to get a, a general idea of what that's about um, versus, as Lauren said, something like a brochure. doesn't really make a lot of sense to skim a brochure. Like, what's the general idea yeah. of a brochure? You know, it's that's kind of... a brochure about Boston. I don't kinda know. kind <laughs> of obvious, right? Yeah. Versus scanning makes a lot of sense because how you usually read a brochure is there you have very certain things in mind that you're interested in mm-hmm. you want to see what time the zoo opens right. you know you want to see how much the art exhibit costs to go see you're not going to closely read all the other stuff that you're not interested in right um you're not going to pour over this brochure probably <laughs> so scanning um, makes sense for that yeah so yeah good rule good. of thumb think about what kind of text it is and how you would normally read that text in real life right and so uh sort of just to summarize those two, skimming or scanning um, come earlier in the lesson. Exactly. um, And I think they are very frequently confused. I think at first, um, people often think they're synonymous. Yeah. Skimming and scanning are the same thing because they're both about reading quickly. Right. But that's the only real similarity they have. Right. They are really, really different, right? Like skimming for gist is the general idea. Mm-hmm. It's the big picture. You know, like mm-hmm. Shannon said, it's a title. You know, it's choosing the best picture to go with a new story or whatever. Big, big idea. Whereas scanning is small details, but small details that you can pick out quickly. Um, yeah. And that you know, you all you already know going into it what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you need a further example to help with the difference, this is kind of a silly hypothetical one, but I always talk about um, imagine a text about some sort of ice cream shop. You could have a scanning task where the students quickly run their eyes through the text and they pick out all the different ice cream flavors. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for vanilla chocolate, strawberry, mint chocolate chip, they could do that task successfully and still have no idea what the article is about overall. They don't know whether it's about a new ice cream shop that just opened, why people in Boston don't eat as much ice cream as people in New York. It could be, you know, who knows what it's about. All they've done is scanned for these very specific details of the different flavors. Um, Same with Lauren's Maya Angelou example. They could do that scanning task where they're picking out these very specific details in her life. How old was she at this point? What was the name of the poem? And still really have no idea what her life was like or if she was famous, if she was successful, if she was well-loved, if she was inspirational. 
we still don't know that just based on that scanning test. Right. Whereas a, a gist task for that might be like, read this, you know, article about Maya Angelou quickly. Um, and, you know, do you think her early life was, was uh, easy or, or hard? Something exactly. Like that, you know? And again, they don't have a lot of details there, but they have a general idea right. of what that part of her yeah. life was like. Yeah. Good. Good. So both are reading quickly, but remember skimming or gist is focused on the big picture. Scanning is focused on these very specific bits of information, names, dates, numbers, places. Mm-hmm. Good. Things like that. Which leads us to our third one. Yes. So the third sub skill we can talk about is reading for detail or detailed comprehension, also often called intensive reading. Um, so reading for detail is how you might read something that you really, really care about, where you want to know every single thing. So here you're reading, as we might imagine, in much more depth, and you're really reading for nuances, for all of the information, the hows, the whys. This is how you might read a novel. Um, might be how you read an instruction manual. At least I do <laughs> when I have no confidence in my ability to put something together. I want to read every single word and make sure I really understand everything. That's the difference between us. <laughs> Lauren might skim that. or skim that. <laughs> I might just hand it to Shannon and ask her how to do it. <laughs> Um, so this again is, is how you might read a store. So for our, um, magazine article example, first I might skim, just quickly look through, try to get an idea of what the gist of the article is. And if I'm interested in it, once I decide I'm interested in it, then I might go back and read it in more detail, maybe even reading over certain parts of it a couple times to really digest okay what's the subtext here or Mm -hmm. you know even reading between the lines a little bit how did this person feel when they they said that thing and how do I know that Um, so this as you might imagine is probably going to come later in the lesson because we don't want to just force students to dive right into detailed reading right away that's pretty difficult and it can be pretty intimidating so doing a skimming task especially first is going to help prepare them for that If we go back to our example on the older couple who'd been married for a long time, um, that skimming task of choosing the best title, that helps to take away the student's intimidation about doing that reading. So we give them a very general task, predict the title, read quickly, see if you were correct. So once the students have done that, now they know, okay, overall, this article is about how to make love last a lifetime, how this couple made their marriage work for such a long time. They are still missing a lot of the details because we've only given them a very short time right. to figure out what the title is. But now they know the title, they have a general idea of what the article is about, and this is going to support them now when we have them go back and read again for more depth. So detail tasks tend to be, um, they can be true or false statements, They can be multiple choice. They can very often be open-ended questions. Um, And this is where we want to think about the difference between a detailed question and a scanning or specific information question. So what date did the couple first meet? That's going to be a scanning kind of question because it's asking for a very specific piece of information, which is a a date. So a number, a day of the week, etc. A reading for detail question is going to ask for, again, a detail, but it's going to be more open-ended. So how did the couple meet? What was the first thing Mrs. Milford was attracted to in Mr. Milford? Right. Something like that, where you really have to process 
you have to look at it in a in a deeper, closer way to right. be able to understand that. Exactly. So it will it takes you it takes a little bit more of you engaging with the text to answer it. Exactly. exactly. And a note here. If you use a course book and you notice that the course book kind of mixes some of these questions mm. together, that's fine. That's actually the way we read in real life as well. That's fine. It's just really a good idea for you to know the difference. Exactly. Because sometimes you're going to want to maybe write your own questions. Um, also, you know, uh, when you're going over the answers, it might be a little bit easier for your students to come up with the answer to a specific information question, right? Like 17 years old versus mm -hmm. why did the couple feel that way? You know, something that right. takes a little bit more justification. It's just good for you to know going into it sort of how much work the students are going to have to do to get the answer. Yeah, exactly. And to understand that both of these, scanning and reading for detail, and the third, skimming, of course, as well, yeah. all of these are are ways that we read in real life, and all of these are valuable things for the students to practice. It's just helpful to know that they require different kinds of reading. Yeah. And different questions are going to force the students or require yeah. the students to read in very different ways. You know, we might ask, like, well, why? Like, why do we want to even, you know, teach students these these um, ways of reading? Well, the truth is they know, they know how to read in their, their native languages. They, they need practice reading in English. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and by practicing these sub-skills, that's how they get better at reading. We yeah. do it already. We know how to. You know, we've been reading and we've been practicing reading in school since we were kids. Um, they need the opportunity to do that in English as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, even in our native language, I think this is valuable. You know, most of us learned this just kind of as we went along. Um, but I had a candidate on a course recently who talked about her daughter um, who is dyslexic and she said mm. she wished that her daughter's teachers the teachers that her daughter had had growing up in school had used more of these techniques oh, interesting. because her daughter had been subjected to the typical thing that we talked about in episode 16 where everybody had to take turns reading aloud and it was horrible you know she hated reading it intimidated her it made her feel embarrassed and that's not necessary it's imagine you know even for somebody a native speaker, I know I'm veering off topic here because we're talking specifically about ESL, but I think these are just valuable skills in general that you can show people that reading doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't. You know, building that confidence is important just in a human sense of yeah. letting somebody skim to get the main idea. Okay, now you're less scared of this text. You can go back and read for more detail and that's going to help you. I think that's so valuable for students, too, who might be intimidated by, you know, all, all of the things that go into reading, you know, the, the big vocabulary and, mm -hmm. you know, the length of a text and stuff like that. Teaching them these skills, they're, they're like ways, we're teaching them ways of sort of approaching a text that are less scary, right? Like, these are very achievable things. Like, I want you to just read quickly and choose the best title. You know, that's, it's achievable, even exactly. with a longer text. Exactly. Even with a longer text. Exactly. Um, no matter what length the text is, obviously that's going to probably determine how long even you give the students sure. to skim. They might need sure. three minutes to yeah. skim a longer text and only one minute to skim a shorter text. Um, but you can still show them that they can move through it very quickly and still get something out of it. And then that's going to support them going into the next task. Yeah. Um, have you ever 
had to teach it? Have you found that you've had to teach a text in class that you didn't think your students would really connect with? Mm-hmm. So it's happened to me a lot too. So, you know, I said, I had said earlier in the episode, you know, be mindful of who your students are and try and choose your texts accordingly. And I stand by it, but there are times that we are asked to use the course books um, and we we can't really veer, you know, too far away, away right. from them. Or an exam prep, which was the question that came oh, up. Oh, true. That's true. Previous, these, yep. you know, you have to teach these specific texts because that's what the students are going to read on the exam. So, you know, what happens when you, when you have this text and you, you, you're not sure if your students are going to engage well with it or not, mm-hmm. you know? And so, uh, we have to go back in the lesson. We talked about sort of an initial reading text uh, task, which is reading for gist, but like what comes before it? You don't just like walk, ideally, you don't just walk into a classroom and put a text down in front of your students right. and be like, here, read, hey, read this, find the title. <laughs> Although, you know, <laughs> okay, so maybe that has happened, but there is a better way. So, um, you know, you walk into the classroom and, and, and what happens? You know your ultimate goal is to have the students read this text and engage with it, but like you've got to get them there somehow, right? Um, and so our first step in a lesson is it, or, or first stage in the lesson is the lead-in the lead-in is is connected to the the context of the lesson um to the context of the the article or the text that you're bringing in uh, the purpose of the lead-in is is to um activate the student's background knowledge about mm-hmm. that uh that theme that context that topic yeah right. that topic right so um uh, you might have seen this before. Uh, some people call it activating schemata. Schemata is just a very fancy way of saying a student's background knowledge. Right. The stuff that's already in your brain. Right. The stuff that they know about the world and their own experiences and stuff like that. So my students might not have had any, you know, ex- uh, any interest in reading an article about ice cream, you know, but I could ask them like, so, you know, what are some desserts that you feel, you know, are eaten more in the U.S. than are eaten in your country, for sure. example? Um, or I might uh, ask them if they've ever had Ben and Jerry's. I don't know, something like that. Activating a student's background uh, knowledge is so important in leading them into an article because they go in already armed with some information or already reminded of the information that they know about already. It's also a really good opportunity for them to connect with um, a topic that they might not think that they know anything about. Right. It really achieves two those two purposes. One is hopefully getting them a little more excited about the topic by letting them relate to it in a personal way. Okay, now they're thinking about, in this ice cream example, desserts in their own country and maybe how they think it's weird that Americans are so obsessed with Ben and Jerry's or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully now they're more motivated. They see a little more how this text is maybe personally relevant to them. And then as Lauren said too, their, their knowledge, their previous knowledge is is now sort of activated in their brains. Um, So instead of just approaching this text cold, where they're kind of trying to wade into it without any preparation, now if they've already talked to their partner about even something as general as desserts in their country, they're already thinking about things like, okay, why do people typically eat sweets? What does that look like? Maybe some words in English have come up that might come up in the text. Sweet, after dinner, chocolate, <laughs> different. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but now they're going in with that part of of their background knowledge kind of turned on, 
Um, and the text is going to be that much more accessible to them. Off Absolutely. The bat. Another part of it can be like also using the visuals if it's from a magazine, like anything that helps students sort of engage with, with the content before engaging, or engage with the context before engaging with the content. Yes. Exactly. Context before content. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good rule of thumb. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> exactly. Um, it also leads really nicely just in terms of a smooth transition. It's really easy to go from that. Okay, now you've just talked to your partner about desserts in your own country. Here's an article about desserts in the United States. Yep. Ice cream. Nice. Let's, you know. Exactly. Um, so it just creates this really nice cohesion in your lesson and brings the students on that journey with you rather than just throwing them in. Um, okay, so that was one sort of general tip for teaching reading is that we always want to set the context, activate students' background knowledge, before we even set the very first reading task. Um, the second thing to remember is to use what we call the task cycle or to use the micro stages when letting students read. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, we touched on micro stages in general and what they are in episode 12, 12. we decided, which mm-hmm. was all about uh, classroom management. And we also touched on this in episode 16. But this is just a reminder, we're not having students read out loud, don't forget. We're letting students read alone. And so this means our task cycle for a reading task is that we first set the task in advance. So always task before they read the text, task before text. So tell the students what they're reading for. If it's an initial reading task, um, like a skimming or gist task, you know, give them the title choices before they read, for example. If it's a more detailed task, give them the questions before they read. Give them the instructions. Then the next micro stage is to let them read alone and do the task, answer the question, choose the title, whatever it is, by themselves in the time limit that you've allotted. Then let them check their answers in pairs and then go over the answers as a class. Yep. So we're going to follow Good. that pattern every time. That's going to support the students in their comprehension. Good. What's the next tip? Well, I think another a good thing to remember is when you are going over the answers, go over the answers <laughs> only <laughs> don't ask right. students uh extra comprehension questions that you didn't uh give them at the beginning uh before they started reading at the beginning of the task mm-hmm. so we always want students to be reading with a purpose we don't want to sort of surprise them at the end with these extra questions that are meant to test to test what like their memory it's really not the point of a reading lesson right so we don't want to trick them at the end and be like, oh, and did you notice that? Or so what was, you know, what was that? Did you notice? Or uh, can you answer this? And they all sort of look at you. Right. Like, no, because we weren't looking <laughs> we for that know. information. We were looking for the other information that you told us to look for. Right. So, uh, yeah. So don't <laughs> ask students extra questions at the end. Avoid that. Um, you, uh, there are so many other things you could be doing with your time at the end of the lesson. We'll get into that in a second. Um, don't, don't try and draw it out by asking, you know, extra questions based on the text. We've got some tricks for you. Don't worry. Exactly. So instead of asking additional questions that you didn't give the students in the task, um, what you can ask the students is to justify their answers to the task you gave them. So let's look at a detailed reading task, for example. So I've given students a true or false exercise. Again, they've done it alone and answered true or false for the statements they've checked in pairs to see if they agree on their answers. And now when I do feedback, instead of just giving the students the answers, I want to elicit the answers from the students. So choose a student, you know, so-and-so, what did you get for number one? 
let the student say whether they think it's true or false, and then you can ask the student why. Why do you think it's true? Where in the text did you see that it's true? Um, and so this is where you can really let the students shine. And this is where you're really proving and letting the students prove that they did, in fact, really understand what they read. Good. So this makes it more student-centered. It also gives the students the satisfaction of getting to show you how much they got out of this text. Um, something that we see sometimes, if it's a more difficult question, you might have some debate in the answer. Maybe somebody says true, and somebody across the room says, no, no, I got false. And then it turns into a bit of a thing of, no, it's true because this. No, it's false because this. Yeah. I've seen this happen in CELTA candidates' lessons, and they often kind of panic, like, oh, my God, the students are arguing. <laughs> what do I do? This is actually not a bad thing. This is kind of an awesome thing. First, it means your students are motivated enough by the task you've given them that they want to engage with it and prove that their answer is correct because X, Y, Z. Um, it also means that your students are are comprehending what they read. Like they're demonstrating reading comprehension by pointing to the text and trying to justify why they think it's this particular answer. Um, so I'd say this is kind of an awesome teaching moment when, when this is happening. It's okay to let the students debate a little bit and just draw it out. Okay, can you show me in the text why do you think it's that? Okay, show me in the text why do you think it's false? Um, and let them let them do that a little bit. Yeah, that's um, great. Because really when you think about it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether the answer is in fact true or false, right? What matters is that the students are using the text to prove their comprehension. Absolutely. And better for them to justify the answers than for you to justify the answer that you already understand. Right. Of course, the students are probably going to be frustrated if you don't then finally tell them the correct answer and why. Um, so if one of them can't convince the other, you'll probably have to weigh in at the end and say, okay, great job. It's actually true because of this. Um, but it's fantastic that, that that happened, that the students were that engaged with the text. Yep. Uh, another question that we often get when we're training is how much time we should uh, mm -hmm. give students to complete their task. Um, a good rule of thumb is to uh, to not uh, to not go as as fast as fast as student and not to go as slow as the slow student. I know that's a little annoying, <laughs> so I would say uh, manage your pace and uh, when about. 80, 85% of the class seems to be done answering the questions, it's yeah. probably good time to let them check their, their answers in pairs. Um, how are you going to know when 85% right. of your class is done? Well, in the previous episode on not having your students read out loud, we <laughs> talked about um, monitoring your students while they're reading. So not getting up in their faces and micromanaging the process, but walking around the classroom and making sure that everyone is engaged in the reading and answering the questions. Um, and it's a good, this is a uh, good time to just have your eyes on students' papers and uh, make sure that, you know, they're pretty much all the way done. You'll you'll notice that your stronger readers are gonna finish first, you know, and and the ones who are, you know, need a little bit more time are always gonna need a little bit more time. It's okay to to say, you know, uh, okay, time is, is done, please check your answers with your partner. It's fine to say that even if not everyone is done. Mm -hmm. Some teachers feel really guilty about stopping. But the, the truth is you have to move the pace along. You can't just sit there. 
um, you know, for an hour and let everyone finish. Right. If you wait for every single student to finish, it's going to drag. It's going to drag, and it, students are going to start to get bored. Give them a chance to work it out in pairs because, um, you know, chances are the, the person that the other student is, the slower student is paired with, has the answers already. Right. Don't forget that you're not just stopping the task in general. You're just moving on to the next micro stage, right. which is that pair check. So even the students who didn't have a chance to answer all the questions in the individual work, they're going to get a chance to go over the answers with their partner. But the truth is there are, you know, in in any class of even if, you know, all of your students are the same, approximately the same level, intermediate or whatever student, there are going to be some that that work faster and there are going to be some that work slower. This is human nature, too. Some people rush their tasks. Some people take their time. It's just the way we work. So what do you do with those who have finished faster than the others? Mm hmm. Number one, don't panic. It's okay. (laughs) That's okay. This is normal. How are you going to know that they're finished before the others? Well, you're monitoring, and so you know that they've reached, you know, the end of their task. And so what should they do? Um, So we recommend having what we call a fast finishers task. A fast finishers task is a task that the the students who have finished uh, faster than everyone else can do quietly. while you give the others uh, a little bit more time to finish up. Mm-hmm. Um, the easiest thing to do during a reading lesson is just have the student who's finished, the students who have finished first, go back to the text and underline where they found their answers. Um, that uh, gives them something to do as the others are finishing up. It also will make uh, going over the answers even better because they've found where the answer is. So if there's any debate as to what the answer is, you can call on that student and be like, where did you find the answer to number three? Mm -hmm. And they've underlined it, easy to find, and they can tell the rest of the class. Right. You're setting them up to then succeed in the next step. Like you're supporting them for the pair check that's coming next so they can point to that and help their partner. Oh, look, no, it's right here. I found it. And you're setting them up to succeed in that feedback stage when you ask them to justify their answers. Now they're going to be even more prepared for that. Um, So, yeah, that's one of our favorite fast finisher tasks. Sometimes we get a question from candidates, for example, or people, teachers who want to teach reading. um, And they say, how about this for a fast finisher task? I'll prepare an additional five comprehension questions and I'll give the fast finishers those five questions as their fast finisher task. Okay, the problem with that is that, excuse me, is that anytime you give students questions, you have to go over the answers because it's really weird to give the students five more questions and then be like, did you get them? Great. Right. And then that's all you ever do with them. Um, So that doesn't work because then I, you know, whoever finished quickly, let's say you've got five people in the class that got those additional questions and nobody else did. How do you then deal with going over the answers? So now you're, you have to do feedback on those, but it's going to be really awkward to do feedback when half the class doesn't know what you're talking about. Um, So that doesn't work. You don't want to give the students additional stuff that the other students don't have access to. But what you can do is just ask them to do something a little more with the text, like underline the answers, or if it's true or false, okay, why don't you now try to write down why each answer is true or false, or correct the false statements to make them true now. That's not going to give you an additional thing you have to do feedback on. It's just going to support those students as they move on to the next steps. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Cool. I think that's our advice for teaching reading in general. (laughs) Um, We recognize that we still have not gotten to the heart of that original question, um, which was about exam preparation specifically. We touched on it a little bit 
Um, I know in this conversation in which we said, you know, what happens when you're just kind of stuck with a text that's boring or long. Um, we are still, I think, going to do another episode on, you know, specifically maybe some strategies for exam prep for a TOEFL reading. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Lauren, you know that exam preparation is kind of like my fun little yeah little pet thing that I Shannon that I like to talk about. <laughs> I just looked at her like <laughs> exam prep. <laughs> so we can definitely talk about that because I think that is the sub skills absolutely come into play, but it is definitely its own animal it is i think reading for the toefl is not the same as reading a fun little article no it's like reading for exam success right it's 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 different right so that would be a fun one to do and we can still probably talk we could talk about reading forever (laughs) we could um stay tuned for upcoming reading episodes for more strategies for teaching reading and just so you know this episode was based again on a listener's question so we love your questions keep on sending them in we do we love it it's exciting um I don't know because we haven't listened to this recording yet if you could hear the rain in the background, but hopefully that added a nice zen <laughs> element to our discussion about teaching I actually, reading. I actually really liked it. It's a rainy <laughs> night here in Boston as we record this. Um, thanks so much for, for joining us again. Uh, we are so excited to be able to bring sort of our experience um, to you. Um, and uh, there's nothing we love more than to, to train teachers. Um, so you, if, you, if you've got questions, comments, please reach out to us. Sometimes it's a, it's a little bit strange speaking into a microphone and not knowing how far the advice is going. Um, so uh, don't be afraid to, uh, yeah, to give us a shout out. Um, you know, where to find us on social media. Um, and also our website's got tons of free stuff. So if you're not on there... <laughs> um get on there uh especially the I, I said this in the last episode um especially the newsletter sign up for it it's free it's fun <laughs> it's full of great information um as the school year you know has started um i keep on thinking about you know teachers sort of uh you know, where do teachers get their ideas and um uh, you know how do they get new ideas? Uh, this newsletter is a great way uh, to keep yourself fresh and also not to burn out, um, to have sort of a, a collection of, um, of fresh ideas. So sign up for it. It comes to your inbox every Wednesday, like magic. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, that's all for us this week. Until next week, happy teaching. Bye. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too. And tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.